in your New Testament this morning, and a good morning, and I'm glad to be with you today. Galatians chapter 5, what a beautiful day. I was sitting in the lobby of our motel this morning, and I was listening, kind of listening as I was reading to the weather report on the TV over there, and, and I, I, it piqued my interest because the weather reporter said, uh, now she said, uh, just uh, this afternoon, probably all you'll need is a hoodie and a light jacket. It's going to warm up. And it caught my attention, and I thought, this is awesome. And I looked, and she said, it'll be in the 30s this afternoon. <laughs> and uh, I decided I am not home anymore. Uh, that's not Florida warm. We, we always get a kick out of it. We live in Ohio 18 years, and after we move to Florida, we always find it quite humorous that when it drops down in the upper 60s, we'll go to Walmart, and people are bundled up like they live up here when it's 10 below zero. And uh, it's a different world. Beautiful day and a great opportunity to be with you. Enjoyed that special, didn't you? I have never been in a revival except that song was sung. 26 years, I've traveled all over. I've never had a revival where they didn't sing that song. There was one meeting I had in Cleveland, Ohio, and Friday night we had not sung it. So rather than mess up a good record, I led it. And uh, so I can honestly say never a revival has passed, but we've sung that one and certainly we need that. I just want to take a moment and greet you from my sweetheart, my wife, uh, Beth and I. Uh, I've married 26 years now, and I'm sorry she's not here, ladies. I, I would be delighted for you to meet her, my favorite person in all the world, my best friend, and I'm sorry that she can't be here. She is battling a few health issues and will actually be off the revival road for the next five or six weeks just to give her some time to recover from some matters. But I bring you her greetings, and I know that her heart is here, and I know she's also praying for you. And I bring you greetings from my family. I am getting old. No, I'm Dave Young, <laughs> but I am getting old. I have two kids married now. My Abby and her husband David are married. They live in California. My son Joshua is married to Bethany. They live in California, both of them serving the Lord. My son Matthew studying evangelism. He's in Bible college. Jacob is 16, and Charity is 11. And we have a brand new addition to our family as well. And we just added a new addition this year. We added our little Peyton. And Peyton is our 40-pound puppy. And uh, she's an a, a English golden. So these are good days. I, I get to serve the Lord. I, uh, I'm training a baby. That's what I'm doing. And after I got this baby over December, I thought, what was I thinking? Uh, this was my off month, and I've worked like a dog trying to train a dog. And uh, this has been really tough, but the Lord's so good to me. I am a dad, and throughout the week, I'll share with you a few of my favorite dad jokes, because I just, like, I'm a dad. And I think my top-of-the-line favorite, just for this morning, to get you awake and all, uh, this is a really good dad joke, because you, you know what a lifeguard is, right? Now, uh, why did the lifeguard refuse to rescue the hippie, do you know? Because he was too far out, man. <laughs> All right, aren't you glad you came to chapel just to hear that, huh? How many of you are hoping the preaching's better than that joke, aren't you? I, I, it's, really, it's really amazing just to stand here and, and uh, be blessed by looking across the crowd. Over here is Brother Vaughn, one of my favorite people in all the world, and I'm glad to serve with him this week. And right there in front of me is Dr. Flanders, and uh, he's, uh, just, uh, he's just a great guy, isn't he? I was thinking this morning, all my friends are old, and uh, <laughs> I... I'm just a blessed man, and I'm so glad to see you, and I want you to know that I'm available to you. I, I never counsel ladies, but a lady, if there's a need you feel like you need help with and nobody else can help you, I have a wonderful wife, and I'd be happy to, to give you her connection, 
and it would be her privilege to serve you. Guys, if I can serve you while I'm here, I'm available. And all you'd have to do is either let me know or the staff, and I'd be happy to set a time to serve you, to help you. I'm, I'm really honored to, to serve you in these days. It's a real privilege, and I can't tell you what a blessing it is. Now, I have a, I have, I have a confession to make. I'm not happy about this sermon. Uh, I, uh, a couple of things. I was praying about six weeks ago. Okay, Lord, I'm getting ready to get ready for Baptist College of Ministry, and you got to help me. What do you want me to preach? And so I kept praying about it, and, and the Lord kept drawing my heart to Galatians 5. And there were two problems I had with that. Number one, I told the Lord, I said, now, Lord, these are really godly people, and they know Galatians 5. And, and so that kind of concerned me a little bit. And the second thing is, I'm an evangelist, and uh, that would mean I have to prepare new sermons. And uh, <laughs> so I said, now, Lord, I, this isn't normal for me. I can do one every six months, but this would mean I have to do like five or six new ones. And so uh, I, uh, I've been real concerned about this. Dr. John Rice said, if you're an evangelist, your sermons are no good until they've been preached at least five or six times. And uh, so I'm just going to give you a heads up right now. It'll be a lousy sermon, but the truth is going to be good, all right? Because Galatians 5 is God's Word. Let's stand together, show our respect to God's Word. We'll begin reading in Galatians 5 and verse 1, where the Bible says these words, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. Now, Father, in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus this morning, I just again want to come to you and ask for your power, for your presence, for your sweet Holy Spirit to meet with us in this hour. I pray you'll open our eyes to the truths you've laid on my heart. I pray we'll be encouraged. I pray we'll be rebuked. I pray we'll be corrected. I pray we'll be changed. Lord, help us this morning. May this be the beginning of a great week in which we know your voice and hear it, in which we sense your working in our heart in a fresh and new way. Have your way, I pray. Do something great in all of our lives. Meet every need, I ask. And I do pray these things, Lord, as I, I just told you. I pray it in your Son's mighty name, the name of your Son, the name of my Savior Jesus. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Some of you have heard me preach before, and you would know that I grew up in Tennessee. My dad is not a preacher. My dad is not even a high school graduate. He's just a very common layman. My dad is a farmer by trade. He also works in a factory. He's now retired, which means that uh, he works all kinds of different jobs because the man loves to work. And the older I get, the older I get, the more I realize that uh, I'm turning into my dad. I sound like him. I, I looked in the mirror the other day and I thought, this is really weird. I'm starting to look like him. And uh, this, is a, this is a strange time. My dad 
was a very quiet man, but I realized the older I get, he was, he was the king of one-liners. My, my dad had very little empathy, very little sympathy. If you hurt yourself very severely, my dad would always say the same thing to you. My dad would say, that hurts, don't it? <laughs> your, your arm's laying over there. And my dad very calmly would say, that hurts, don't it? That was his answer for everything. He was a very tough man. My dad, uh, we were cutting trees one day on a hillside on our farm. And my dad, with his chainsaw, fell a tree down the, the hillside, and he's cutting it. And my dad never liked all those safety mechanisms. We don't have time for that. And so he'd always remove that stuff. We don't need that. And that's not manly. He tell us, that's not manly. If you cut your leg off, at least you're a man. And uh, so my, my dad just was a tough guy. And one day fell on his chainsaw in such a way that he ripped his knee open quite severely. And uh, it was a really frightening thing for me and my brother but it was also somewhat of a humorous thing. My dad is, you know, bleeding everywhere, and he turns off his chainsaw, and he turns around. He looks up the hill. We were above him. He looks up the hill at us, and he said, Boys, I think I hurt myself. <laughs> and I remember we're standing up there going, Yeah, I think you did too. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember my dad, just he was the king of one-liners. My, my, my dad, uh, my brother, or my sons, rather, my sons love to work out, and, and uh, I bought him a punching bag. And in so our gym, they'll go out there and, you know, and they'll, they'll work out and they'll punch the punching bag. And my dad was down visiting. My dad's about my size, but he's worked like a dog his entire life. He's strong as a mule. So my dad goes out there and he said, boys, what are you doing? Yeah, we're working out. We're punching the bag. And my dad sat there and watched him. And he said, boys, that's not how you punch a bag. And, and he goes over to this bag and he punches it. And my boys came in and they were like, dad, uh, Papaw damaged our punching bag. And... <laughs> It's like he creased it, and then my, my boys are like, their mouth was open for three days, and I can wonder, how did he do that? That's my dad. I, I read this text, and I, I thought of a phrase my dad used to say to me. It, it was uh, kind of a, an odd little phrase, but, and, and I couldn't remember even all the places he would say it, but my dad would often say to me, son, that won't do you any good. That won't do you any good. I, I would try to, you know, do a work on the farm or something, and the way I was doing it, my dad would lean over and he'd say, that won't do you any good. That won't do you any good. And I thought of that phrase because as I was reading in Galatians 5 and meditating on it, you know what Paul is saying to these people? Here you are trying to add all of this to the gospel, and that's what you know, it won't do you any good. It won't do you any good. This will not do you any good. Here you are trying to figure out theologically how to put the law with the gospel and all this stuff. And, and what Paul is saying is this is not going to do you any good. And I, uh, I love this passage. And what it reminds us of is that the gospel is always under attack. Galatians reminds us that the gospel is always under attack. Did you know that? It's, it's the issue. The enemy hates the gospel. He hates it for those who are lost, and he hates it for you who are saved. He knows if he can undermine the gospel, he can hinder your effectiveness, he can destroy your victory, he can harm your purity. The gospel is always under attack. The enemy, the enemy tries to, to diminish it, doesn't he? Well, you know, this is not that big a deal. You, you know, you've been saved long enough now, you can do this on your own. 
You know, you've been saved a long time. You, you know, you got three or four years of Bible college under your belt. You, you know, I, I know it's nice to know about the gospel when you first get saved. And, and, you know, you need all the help you can get when you first get saved. But after you've been saved for a while, you figure it out. You know how to have devotions. You know how to be a soul winner. You know how to walk with God. All is well. And, you know, sometimes you fail and you know it. But you've got enough sense to know how to get up and straighten it up and cover it up and move on. The enemy loves to diminish the gospel in your life. Because if he diminishes the gospel in your life, what he does is he damages the gospel and eventually he destroys it. And there comes a point in your Christianity when you, you can be as saved as saved can be on the way to heaven and the gospel have no influence and no impact in your life at all. And that's what's going on in this, this book of Galatia. It is a book that challenges us not just to be theological, but to see the gospel as practical. Now, there's a theological side. That's why we go to Bible college, isn't it? I used to joke and say that there were all kinds of issues I had no clue about until I went to seminary. And I got in seminary and found out there were issues. that I didn't know those were issues. I had no idea. And sometimes you can go to Bible college and get so influenced discussing the issues that you miss the practicality that there's a wonderful God in heaven who sent His Son to die for your sins, and He was buried and He was raised from the dead. And through Him and only through Him can you have victory and joy and peace and the power of God in your life. And so here's what Paul's writing about today. And I want to submit to you, in this first service that I get to preach to you, I just want to propose to you this morning that you, you cannot go wrong resting and rejoicing in the power of the gospel. You cannot go wrong resting and rejoicing in the power of the gospel. I don't know how many sermons I'll preach from this passage. I know at least I'm going to preach to you this morning on the work of, the, of, the work of Christ in Galatians 5 or the gospel of Christ in Galatians 5. Tonight I'm going to talk to you about the failure of our failure based on Galatians 5. I, I probably will talk to you about the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. I certainly will talk to you about the power of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I, I don't know how many sermons I'm going to do, but at least those three or four. But let's start this morning with the work of Christ. Uh, you, you, you should rest and rejoice in the power of the work of Christ. And the question is why? Now, if you're taking notes, I want to draw your attention to three reasons by using three words. I'm just going to give them to you right up front, all right? Here's the three words I'm interested in this morning. The first one, you'll find it right here in the text, and it is the word you find righteousness. That's in verse 5. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of, what's the word? Righteousness by faith. In, in other words, the first thing I want you to think about today is that resting in the power of the work of Christ results in the only righteousness that is acceptable to God. Now, you believe that, don't you? Resting in the power of the work of Christ results in the only righteousness that is acceptable to God. There's a second thing I want to show you here, and that's the word refreshing. Uh, it, it, the word is not in the text, but it's the word that ministered to me as I read these 12 verses. There's something refreshing here because resting in the power of the work of Christ results in a refreshing assurance. I, I, I'm not right with God because I'm such an amazing preacher or a great daddy, or a good husband, or a wonderful Christian. I'm right with God because there's a Savior named Jesus Christ whose blood has been applied to my account. And I'm clean through Him. I'm right with God. So that's refreshing to me. And there's a third word, and that's the word responsibility. Because He not only gives us here the righteousness, and then He refreshes us by the truths of that righteousness, He lays out for us the responsibility we have because of that righteousness. Now let's just, let's just take a few moments and discuss this word righteousness and, and look through this passage. Now here's what Paul is saying. Look at verse 1. He says, look, what's wrong with you all? Here you are. You are saved on your way to heaven, and you're becoming entangled in things that are damaging the gospel. That's the point of verse 1. 
And in verse 2, he just simply says to them, don't you know, this, uh, this won't work. This, this will not work. This won't make a difference. This won't help you. Uh, he reminds them in verse 3, very simply, that it's either or. Either you are good enough to help yourself to be righteous and, and to be what you ought to be, or you need God to do it for you. There's no middle ground here. If I'm going to, if I'm going to add circumcision, uh, circumcision to the law, he says, then I'm a debtor to do it all. It's all or nothing. Either I have to live it all and do it in all of my own strength, or I can rest in the power and the strength and the work of Christ. You following this so far? And then in verse 4, verse four, he says, uh, look here, he says, Christ has become of no effect. Uh, you, you're trying to be justified by the law, and that's not grace, and so Christ is no effect to you. And then in verse 5, here's the, here's the point of my first thought. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Here's a good question for a chapel in a Bible college. Do you have to be perfect to go to heaven? Well, that's a good question. It's a little tricky question, but it's a good question. Do you have to be perfect to go to heaven? What's your answer? Yes. Now, you ought to know that because it's true, which is why you can't go. So you can't go to heaven because you have to be perfect to go to heaven. And I don't care who you are. You may, be, you, you, you may have a doctorate in front of your name, but you're not good enough to go to heaven. You may never have a doctorate in front of your name, but no matter, you're still not good enough to go to heaven. Nobody ever has been. Nobody ever will. But if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to be perfect. You have to be righteous. And here's the wonderful truth of the gospel. You're not, but He is. You can't, but He can't. And the point of the gospel is that I'm a sinner and I'm on the road to hell and I can't save myself. It's not me. But there is a Savior named Jesus Christ who is the very Son of God Himself and the very God the Son. And He did something for me that I can't do for myself. This is the foundation for everything we believe in Christianity. There's a God who did for me what I can't do for myself. And quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, that's shouting ground. I'm not good enough to go to heaven, never will be. But praise God, there is a perfect Savior who died for my sins and was buried and was raised from the dead. And praise God, He is alive forevermore. And because He died, I can be forgiven through Him. And because He was raised from the dead, I can have everlasting life, spiritual life, eternal life, abundant life. I can have life that is available only through Jesus Christ. It is a glorious truth. And the word is righteousness. I say to you again, resting in the power of the work of Christ results in the only righteousness that is acceptable to God. I love how that Paul always connects everything he says to the gospel. You ever notice that? How many of you know Galatians 2.20? Do you know it? It's a great truth, isn't it? He says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. You know it. Uh, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Stop right there. That's a good statement. But it doesn't stop right there because here's what he says. He says, through Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm convinced that one of the dangers in our movement is that we understand all the truth, but sometimes we disconnect it from the power of the gospel. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter what your GPA is. Apart from Jesus, you're nothing. It doesn't matter what your background is. Apart from Jesus, you're nothing. But through Jesus, you have everything you need. To not only be saved from sin and hell, but to have everlasting life, to have eternal life, to have abundant life, to have victorious life. Jesus, can I say it like this? Jesus is everything. He does it all. Isn't that a glorious truth? It's righteousness. That's the whole point of this text. Paul, marvel at that. Marvel at what Paul is teaching us. It's not you, it's him. It's not your ability, it's his. It's not what you're going to do, it's what he's already done. 
And all you do is you come and cast yourself on that truth. God, I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. I don't even know where heaven is. And I can't save myself. But Jesus, I believe that you did it all. And I'm trusting in you. I'm looking to you. I'm turning to you. I'm believing on you. Have you ever wondered why the Bible says it in so many different ways? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In, in Acts 2, he says, repent and be baptized. Well, what, what is, in, in John 1, he says, uh, but to as many as received him, to him, uh, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. What, what does the Bible say it in so many different ways? Uh, here's what I thought for years. I thought it was, you know, it was to give us something to debate theologically. You know, so we can debate, where, where's repentance fit in there? And where does, where does you know, and, and we can debate all kinds of things theologically. And one day it dawned on me, that's not why God gave us that. God gave us that because he loves us so much. He gave every possible way for us to grab a handle on this truth. Somebody may not understand, you know, what does it mean to call on the Lord? Well, if you don't understand that, try this one. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not sure I understand that one. Well, then try this one. But to as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. He doesn't give us all these different ways of saying it so you and I can have debates in our residence halls. So we can show you know, our great knowledge of the doctrine of soteriology. He gives it to us so we can, every one of us, no matter our background and our situation, can get a handle to the fact that here I am a sinner and I don't deserve to be saved and I'm lost and I, if I got what I deserved, I'd be on the way to hell and I'd be in hell for all of eternity. But God himself so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now I'm saying to you as we start this week, you ought to marvel at that. Paul did. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ because he loved me and gave himself for me. I'm a changed man because he loved me and gave himself. In Ephesians 5, in verse 2, he says to the church, walk in love. Okay, get at it. As Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sweet-smelling savor before the Lord. I I'm paraphrasing part of that. But the point is, he connects everything to the gospel. How long has it been since you connected your Christian walk to the gospel? Just start with the marvel. How long has it been since you marveled? You are a child of God on your way to heaven. How long has it been since you marveled at that? Years ago, I had a revival in Alabama. And uh, it was a, a great meeting. that The pastor had gotten in trouble. And, and four weeks before my revival, he had to resign the ministry and was out of the ministry. And here I have this revival scheduled, and I'd never been there before, and nobody there knows me. And now the pastor's not there, and, and I just assume this revival's over. And a few days after I heard the news, and, and I was getting ready to try to rebook that week somewhere else, I got a call from this deacon in this tiny church in Alabama, this country church, and he said, Brother Young, you don't know me, but my name is, he told me his name, and he said, I'm the chairman of the deacon board here at the church, have you heard what happened? And I said, well, yes, sir, I did. I'm really sorry. He said, well, I am too, he said, but we weren't sure what to do. We just realized four weeks from now, you're scheduled to preach a revival in our church, and he said, uh, what we talked about as a deacon board last night is if there's ever been a time our church needs revival, it's right now. And he said, would you be willing to come and preach the rock? We don't have a pastor, and we're in a real mess right now, but we need God's help. Would you come? And he said, we'll pray as much as we know how to pray. I've never done this before. But he said, I'll try to get the church ready. And he said, if you'll come and preach, he said, uh, we'll take good care of you. And so I said, well, you know, on that basis, I'm coming on all of it. Taking good care of me, I'm coming. Um, you're going to pray and fast and seek the Lord, I'm coming. And boy, we got there, it was a great meeting. I wish all of you could have been there. It, from the very, I preached in the Sunday school hour, and heaven came down, and I knew this is of the Lord. God is here. God is going to move. And it just turned into one of my favorite revival weeks that I've ever had. 
that there was a lady in the church and she had prayed for her husband. Oh, Lord, you got to save my husband. And she had prayed for years. you got to save my husband. And Thursday night I gave the invitation and that man walked down the aisle and was born again. And there was a lady in the church. Her brother had run off every preacher who had ever come to talk to him. And she said to me one night, she said, uh, Brother Young, she said, my brother hates preachers. Will you go visit him? <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's a good way to bring it up. And, 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 I, and I was going, okay, fine. And I remember I prayed. I went to the auditorium and I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I don't know this man, but I understand he hates preachers. And if I'm going to win him to you, you sure got to help me and you got to do a work. And, and uh, we got in our church van. We drove down there. And uh, two of us led that man to Christ. And before I got back to the church, he'd already called his sister and told her that he had gotten saved. It was glorious. It was a glorious revival. There was one man that came every night. He had just gotten out of prison. His life was a shambles. He was a mess. He had blown everything in his life apart. He, every relationship ever he had, he had damaged it. His marriage had fallen apart. He had lost everything. And here he is fresh out of prison. And somebody talked him into coming to hear Dave Young. And he came every night. And he would not get saved. I mean, I would have thought this is a, if anybody needs to be saved, you do. And why not? You have nothing else. And he, I watched him on Thursday night hang on to a, and I've heard about, you ever heard those stories, you know, the guy held on to the pew and he wouldn't respond. And I saw, I really saw that. The men would not be saved. And I knew, I knew he was convicted. I knew God was working on him. My RV, where I was preaching, behind the wall, behind where I was, was my RV, parked outside in the church parking lot behind the auditorium. And so I closed the service that night, and here's what I said. I said, I know there's a man, maybe a lady in this room, and you ought to have gotten saved tonight, and God's working in your life, and you're going to go home tonight, and you're not going to be able to sleep. You're going to wrestle with God tonight. You know, you know you're going to hell. You know Jesus Christ loves you. I said, I just want to tell you something. My RV is right here behind the church. You get out of bed, you come over and knock on my RV. I'll get out of bed and lead you to Jesus. We can get saved in the parking lot. Now, I just got to tell you something. I think I meant it. I, I really, I mean, it was, I was just preaching, you know, but I think I meant that. I think I did. And uh, I, went, I went back to my RV that night, and, and our family got dressed for bed, you know. We went to bed, and in the wee hours of the next morning, someone about tore the wall of my RV off. I mean, somebody was like, bam, bam, bam. And uh, I levitated, and uh, <laughs> I, I remember it scared me to death. I mean, I jumped, and, and the, we're all awake. What in the world? And, and uh, I... Uh, I grabbed a pair of shoes, and I ran down to the, the RV door, and I peeked out, and uh, there he stands. He was a mess. <laughs> he had snot everywhere. Uh, he was just a mess. And I opened the door, and he said, uh, Dave, I, I, I've been up all night, and I went into work early. And my boss just said, what is wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. I've been in this revival, and I, I just think I, I need God or something. And my boss said, well, check out, clock out, get out of here. You're no help here. Go take care of that. <laughs> so he said, here I am. So I got to lead that man to Christ. I, uh, I didn't know much about him, but I went back to that church for a revival sometime later and found out he was the director of the RU ministry. I went back some years later, and he was singing on the front row of the choir, and this is what I remember. Here's a man whose life was a shambles, but he met Jesus turned his world in a right direction. I was sitting on the front row of a, of a revival service, and he was on the front row of the choir just a few feet away from me. And I don't remember the song. In fact, I couldn't tell you what it was if I had to. But I remember the choir was singing about being clean. 
saved, washed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know, you know how you guys know choirs. You have a great choir. And choirs, choirs, you know, you've got to focus on the notes. There's nothing worse than having a very loud person in a choir who is off. <laughs> Trust me, I have experienced that more times than I care to tell you about. And you're like, man, somebody is off. <laughs> I, I was with an evangelist friend of mine sitting in one church, and he leaned over, and he said, I'm going to have to leave. I'm about to be physically ill. Uh, it, it was that off. And literally, he was wide. He was like, I can't handle this. They are off. And, uh, and I don't even know music, but I could feel it. I was, I was, I was starting to be physically ill. And, and I know, and, and, you know, here's the choir, and they're all, you know, everybody's standing the way they're supposed to, and they're singing the way they're supposed to, and it was beautifully done. And all of a sudden, I, I couldn't help but notice him. Because no longer is he singing notes. No longer is he just practicing with a choir. He's feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I remember. We, you, know, we're, we're, you know, we were more dignified. We're cultured. We're Bible college people. But all of a sudden, I watch this guy as tears begin. He's singing, but tears are flowing because he's clean. He knows what it is to be saved, to be changed. The next thing I know, I, it's a Baptist church. The next thing I know, he's like this. And before the choir number ended, he was like this. And, and you know, and, and I love watching people like that because, you know, we don't, we don't do that. We're Baptists. And I, I, I love watching the people because, you know, the people beside him are kind of like. You know. and, and the people behind him are like, is this so, and they're looking at the pastors. Is this, is this okay? And is this, should we church him, you know, or, you know, is this church discipline matter here? And. You know, I'm being a little silly, but I, I got I to tell you, I sat on the front row of that service, and all of a sudden realized, why not? I've never been to prison. My life has never been torn apart by drugs. My mom and dad knew Jesus. I went to church all my life. And it took just as much of the grace of God to save me from sin and hell as it did to save him. And I just ask you, you know what may have happened in the church at Galatia? Here they are. They're distracted. They're sidetracked by a theological issue. And they're missing the fact that righteousness is available through Jesus Christ. I'm clean. I'm right with God. I am saved from sin and hell. I... I, I I have the righteousness of Christ. You, you go to heaven right now and you open the records in heaven and look up Dave Young's name. Go ahead. You're going to find out in the records of heaven there is no record that Dave Young's ever sinned. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to wash away. The, 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 the record of sin in heaven has been removed and replaced by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to stand in front of God someday and share with Him, you know, Lord, I preached at Baptist College of Ministry. I'm going to stand there and say, it's Him, it's Jesus, look what He did. How long has it been since you marveled at that? See, some of you kids have been saved for years. So you got saved when you were four. Well, there's a great testimony, huh? Give that one. The guy in Alabama could tell you about being in prison. 
The guy in Alabama could tell you about losing his marriage and his family and drugs and destruction and damage and heartache and turmoil and sadness and sorrow and a life of great tragedy. And he would testify to you that there was a day in his life that God reached down into the miry clay of sin and pulled him out of that miry clay and set his feet on a solid rock and he's never been the same. But you got saved when you were four. Not much of a testimony, isn't it? I was four. Tried everything. <laughs> I'd been around the block twice on my tricycle. <laughs> Not really, it is that kind of, it almost seems that silly, does it? I was five. I was seven. And here I was. I, I was just a kid. I'd never held up a bank. I'd never tried drugs. I'd never even smelt alcohol, let alone drunk some. But the fact of the matter is, the same Jesus that died for a man in Alabama whose life was a shambles is the same Jesus that went to a cross and died for you. And I really think what Paul may be doing here is just reminding us that, you know what? You're not righteous because you're good kids. You're not righteous because you never tried drugs or alcohol. You're only righteous through the power of the work of Jesus Christ that was accomplished on the cross. And I just came to this first service to say to you, you ought to marvel at it. You ought to let your heart be strangely warm. You're a child of God. You're, you're a child of God. Your sins are forgiven. You have everlasting life. You, you, you're on your way to heaven. You're as righteous as the power of Christ can make you. Is that not, is that not shouting? That's my position in Christ. You're looking at a perfect man. Now, my wife says that, but for different reasons. She's my encourager, my exhorter. She has the ministry of refreshment. And she doesn't even take me even out to eat at Greek restaurants, and she still refreshes me. You understand that I'm perfect in Christ, but so are you, son. You're righteous. If you've been to Calvary, if you believed on Jesus, you're righteous. Not to add to that. You can't. Won't do you any good. You can't. It won't do you any good. You can't add more to what Christ has already done. He did it all. You're saved. You're forgiven. You have eternal. How long has it been since you marveled at that? How long has it been since your heart was strangely warm at the fact that I'm a child of God, I'm forgiven, I'm clean. Look what God's done in my life. How long has it been? We start here this morning with the work of Jesus Christ. And that's the word righteousness. i, I got to hasten to a second word. It's the word refreshment. Do you not find this, this truth refreshing? I'm saved. I'm a child of God. It's not me. Somebody in this service still may be battling this issue of assurance. Am I, am I really saved? You, you, you doubted it. You know, I, I, I know I got saved when I was four, but did I mean it? Did I say the right thing? Did I, did I, did I? There's so many issues surrounding this matter. But if you understand the fact that you are not good enough to save yourself and Jesus did it all, that's a refreshing truth. It's just, it's just refreshing. Resting in the power of Christ, the work of Christ results in a refreshing assurance. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever fail? Do you ever fall short? Do you ever, um, do you ever feel unworthy? Do you, do, you ever, do you ever think you'll merit it? You ever think there'll come a day in your life where God will look at you and go, all right, he's finally arrived. You know, if he had been like this for years ago, I wouldn't have had to save him. Do you ever think that'll happen in your life? Good heavens, no. No, Jesus did it all. That's refreshing. It's not based on your feelings. There's one thing, one thing about us that we need to remember. We are all emotional. 
Some of us more than others. Some of us in different ways than others. I have a friend, when he's happy, he's like this. When he's down, he's like that. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, anybody home? You know, the wheel's turning, but the hamster's dead. You know, I mean, it's like, anything in there, you know? It's just like there's nothing there. And then I've got another friend who's like, I, I, I think he was born vibrating, you know. He's like, oh, my word, oh, my word. Everything becomes a big deal. You know, if he's happy, he's like, you got to be happy with me. He'll grab you and jump up and down. And you're like, leave me alone. And, and if he's down, you got to be down. I mean, it's, just, it's just like there's no middle ground. The guy says he's up and down, but you got to join him. It's just how he is. See, we're all emotional, but, you know, sometimes we, we, we get so, so confused by our emotions. And I, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm not saved because I'm so down and I struggle and I, I failed again. And, and I, I, I am so glad to report to you today that the work of Christ is the issue, not you. It's not your emotions. They do come and go. I, I, I'm so glad God made us emotional, aren't you? I'm glad he gave us emotions. Aren't emotions a wonderful part of life? Don't you enjoy a song that you, that you hear it and it just moves your heart and you're like wowed by it? Wow, that was good. And, and, and don't, don't, I mean, don't you enjoy that? that? Don't you like it when somebody's happy and they make you laugh? Don't you like that? Our family probably laughs too much. We, uh, family devotions, we have returned them. They're family commotions. <laughs> I'm like, for crying out loud, simmer down. Our kids find humor in everything. And sometimes reading our King James, you can get some real humor. I mean, the way it's said, you know, and, and, and our kids will, will chuckle about it. I what not. And our kids love that one. They're always like, Dad, I what not what has become of thee. And, and we, la we enjoy life. We were having devotion some months ago, and, and uh, rather than that night read the Word of God together, we normally read a chapter together and, and then pray together. But that night I said, hey, let's just take time to share what we've been reading in our own personal devotion. So we go around the room and, you know, everybody's talking. And my wife said, she said, well, I've been reading in Isaiah. And she said, I read this week that really unusual and odd text about how God told Isaiah, hey, I want you to go preach for the next couple of years, and I want you to do so naked and barefoot. And that, I don't know how you, just, that's just a weird text, okay? No matter how you slice that, that's just unusual. Made me say, thank you, God, that I am not an Old Testament prophet. I... Uh, I just want to praise God for that. And, uh, and so my wife's sharing the story. And my, my, my charity, she's our caboose, our baby. My charity, she, she perks up and she goes, what was that? So my wife, you know, kind of explained it. And charity goes, wow, I need to read that book. <laughs> I was a little worried about this. I'm like, I don't know if that's the right reason to read that book or not. But God gives us emotions to enjoy life. And, you know, uh, some of you kids struggle with your assurance over your emotions. You get so defeated because you're battling that same besetting sin again or, or because you didn't meet the goal that you had set for the holidays or a personal relationship's got some trouble and you're down about it. I find refreshment in this passage because Paul is saying to them, don't you know that Jesus Christ made us free? Don't you know that Jesus Christ alone is the one who can save you? Don't you know that righteousness is only available through Jesus Christ? Don't you know that he is able to save you without any effort on your part? And that ought to be a refreshment to you because that's a key to assurance. I'm not saved because I preach. I'm not saved because I always feel like it. I'm just telling you, there are some days, some days, I don't care who you are, you just don't feel like it. I mean, we're, you ever had a day where everything went wrong? I got up one Saturday morning at 4 a.m. to drive 750 miles home. I'm going to do it in one day because I want to be home. I have a 15-passenger minivan. 
or rather 15 passenger van and I had my 40 foot fifth wheel and I have an intern who's got to get home to where we live to fly out early the next morning. So I got to get him home. He decides to ride with me. We've been together a week. He helped us in revival, getting some credit for his Bible college. And so he's going to ride home with me and the family all piled in the the 15 passenger van and they're going to get on the road. About an hour after I hit the road, the van's way ahead. My wife texts me these words. You won't believe what happened. I always love those. So I, you know, I, 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 I took the bait. What happened? And she says, uh, Charity got sick. Threw up all over everything in the van. So this is going to be a good day. We've been, it's, it's not even daylight yet. And we already got a kid all over the van. And my wife's on the side of the road with wipes trying to clean out a mess. And uh, I just had to pause and say, thank you, Lord, that she's with her and not with me. And, and, uh, and so I, I did, you know, the Bible says, in everything, give thanks. So I was practicing the word of God there. And can I just tell you, it went downhill from there. A few hours later, my truck died on the interstate. Just died. Just stopped running. So I have no power steering. I, I'm working it over and got the trailer off this, you know, on the side of the interstate. And uh, truck won't start, couldn't find anything, nothing's open. So I had to call a tow truck driver. He came and got my truck. Now my trailer's on the side of the road. So I got to call in some pastors. I called a pastor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and said, you have been in your church with a truck that can pull a fifth wheel? Oh, he said, yeah, I know, brother, sister. So he said, so an hour and a half later, they show up, hitch to my trailer, take it to the pastor's house. But on the way, drop me at the airport so I could get a rental car. I got to get this intern home. He's got to fly out early the next morning. So I get to the airport, he drops me off, he takes my trailer, he's headed down to the pastor's house. It's just 45 minutes out of my way down to the pastor's house. And I go in and, and I had a car reserved and I went to the counter and handed her my card and she said, your card was denied. Well, it can be. I use that card all the time. So I called Discover Card and found out that my card had been hacked and they had canceled it. It had come through some kind of fraud thing. So they, they we're sending you a new one, they said. I, I said, well, that's not going to do me any good right now. She said, well, I'm sorry. Once we shut it down, you can't reopen it. I said, well, I, uh, I don't even have an ATM card. I didn't have an ATM card on me. I can't go to an ATM and get cash. She said, we don't, we don't take cash. It has to be a credit card. Are you kidding me? So I said uh, do you, you, to my intern, he's 20, do you, you have a credit card? I'll pay you. She, oh, she said, how old is he? You have to be 25. <laughs> I'm like, ma'am, I am stuck at this airport if I can't get a car. She said, well, I'm sorry. I don't have a credit card. He, he doesn't have one that'll work. And uh, so I called this pastor I knew who agreed to come up and rent the car in his name and add me as a driver so I could go down to his house and pick up my stuff out of my RV so that I could drive home and, and get this guy home. It went downhill from there. I was tired. I'd been up since 4 a.m. We, we got stuck in traffic. You've been sitting in traffic hour after hour after hour. And it's a little after midnight. I pull into the church parking lot where my intern's going to spend the night at a missions house. As I'm, I'm 400 feet away. As I'm turning in, this little old lady ran the red light and demolished my rental car. She hits me. I, I'm trying to serve the Lord. My truck's in a shop in Louisiana. My trailer's at a strange pastor's house. My, 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 my credit card is fraud. Uh, you know, it's locked down. And now this little old lady runs over my car. And it's not even my rental car. It's the pastor's rental car. I remember two things happened. I got out and leaned up against the car like this. 
And I was, I, I was really praying that the Lord would help me to keep my salvation. And, and, uh, and my evangelism intern got out and laid on the hood of the car and laughed loudly. <laughs> Literally like a kid, he laid there and kicked his legs and said, this is the greatest day of my life. I had no idea evangelism was this exciting. I'm over here ready to blow up the entire town. He's over here thinking it's the greatest day of his life. He and I were friends. And uh, I have anybody that responds to things like that. I don't want to be friends with him. That's just weird. But the point is emotions are, are, are easily used by the enemy to discourage and damage you. When you're saved by the righteousness of Christ, that's, that's a refreshing truth. The last thing i got to tell you, and we got to go. There's the word righteousness here. Do you see it? They, they were missing that. They were looking to add circumcision to their salvation in hopes that it would make them more saved. It won't work. That's just, it won't work. It's not going to do it. Righteousness. He, resting in the power of the work of Christ results in the only righteousness acceptable to God. There's refreshing because resting in the power of the work of Christ results in a refreshing assurance. Isn't that what Paul is trying to show them? Hey, you don't, need, you don't need that. You don't need to add that. Jesus did it all. It's over. It's done. It's completed. And the last word is responsibility. Resting in the power of the work of Christ results in a mighty responsibility. Look what he said in verse 6. Don't you know that in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but your responsibility? But faith, which worketh by love. One commentator said, you could say it like this, faith which by love is mighty in its work. God doesn't save us and give us this freedom just so, okay, praise God, I'm saved, do whatever I want to do. That's not the point of Galatians 5 at all. The point of Galatians 5 is that you are saved by the righteousness of Christ and it's enough to save you no matter what's going on in your life. He is the only one who can save you and he did it all. And that's refreshing because that means I don't have to be good enough and and, and I, don't have, I, don't, I don't have to always feel it. I can rest in what Jesus Christ did. Therefore, I'm saved and therefore I have assurance. I rest in Jesus Christ and what he did. But then he points out, that doesn't just leave me with just, oh, well, whatever. No, I have a responsibility. Now I'm to get busy serving the Lord. He even says that, doesn't he, in this passage? You did run well. You did run well. What in, what's, what's wrong with you? You stopped running well. You did run well. You did, but you're not now. I thought about that. I'm going to close here in just a moment, but I thought about that. There's a sense here in which he's trying to say to these Galatians, don't you know that it's time to, uh, to get back to work serving God with love in your heart? Don't you know that it's time to get running again? Don't you know that it's time to pick it up? You're saved, aren't you? It's time to get at it. It's time to go all out. It's time to run well. How many of you know what the word run means? You know that word? How many, of you, uh, how many of you don't do it? You don't believe in running, do you? You're not for it. Some of you are, but not many of you. I, I was doing real well. Three weeks ago, I ran 9.3 miles. That's pretty good, don't you think? Especially for a man my age. I ran 9. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 50 in February, and I, I want to run a half marathon on my birthday. Not, not a race, just 13.1 miles. I just thought, you know, it'd be cool to do to say, hey, I ran 13.1 miles on the day I turned 50. Now, the last few weeks have really hindered me. We had a holiday. 
my wife made apple pie, pumpkin pie, pecan pie, cookies, chocolate chip cookies, sugar cookies, other cookies. <laughs> Everywhere I went, people were like, hey, we brought you a little gift. Here's some cookies. Hey, we brought you a little gift. Here. And I'm like, what in the world? I did run well. It's time to pick it up again. That's a simple illustration, isn't it? Here we are in January of a new year. You were running pretty well. Some of you went home, and here's what happened. You didn't run well. You went home, and you didn't run well. You got too busy to have your devotions. You went back home and got back on the Internet that you've been doing pretty good because you've been in a college that's really hard on you about that. You went home, and it was easy to, eh, we'll watch a movie. A movie's not the end of the world, but most people today will watch a movie and never think about it, check about it, even pray about it. Hey, whatever, just watch it, whatever. You did run well, but something's happened. And here's what Paul is saying to the church of Galatia. It's a different application than where, me and, where, where we are this morning. But the fact of the matter is some of you did, but you're not this morning. And here we start our first morning session in the first place, I'd recommend that you marvel at the gospel. If you have nothing else to get out of my message today, at least start there. Praise God that you're saved. Rejoice in it. Marvel at it. Be wowed by it. You may have never done this in your life, but your heart should. I'm saved, clean, right with God. Marvel at it. Am I, am I making sense? Uh, be refreshed by it. Some of you are still battling. Am I really? I hope and the devil just keeps jabbing you with that fiery dart. You might not be saved. And the fact that the matter is, the problem is you're focused on yourself all of a sudden instead of what Jesus did. Get your eyes back on him and examine your responsibility. Say, man, I feel badly about the inner term. I... Uh -huh. I, wish, I wish I'd have done better at home. Okay, fine. You have a wonderful God who still forgives and cleanses. And just like he says here to these people, hey, you were running well, but you're not now. What's wrong with you? Pick it up and get at it. Pick it up and get back on track. Pick it up and start walking right again. Am I making sense this morning? That's Galatians 5, the work of Christ. Father.